It's number one with a Bullard, the audio edition. I'm Gabe Bullard. Episode 4, Unreal Until It Becomes Real. And I'm Gabriel. That's my full name. I guess fate has a way of putting you in the right place at just the right time. The eighth episode of the Nickelodeon show The Adventures of Pete and Pete is about the younger of the show's titular Pete's trying to track down a song. He first hears this song from a band playing in a local garage. sings it to himself until the memory starts to fade. He hums the melody over his makeshift radio station to find anyone else who has heard it. When no one responds, he starts a band to rewrite it. The episode sent hundreds of kids down a similar path. I was one of them. As he raced towards school, a strange new feeling raced through him, and suddenly it hit him. It wasn't supposed to happen. He wasn't supposed to care. But as the feeling blasted through his heart, he knew nothing could ever be the same. He had a favorite song. It wasn't just one song in one episode, though. Almost every episode of Pete and Pete had music that grabbed my attention. There was a tune that played under the closing credits of one episode that sounded like robots strumming rubber bands and banging on toy drums, with lyrics about saying goodnight but meaning goodbye. It haunted me. And of course, there was the opening theme by the same band that hypnotized Little Pete. To a nine-year-old in 1994 who was just beginning to love music, Pete and Pete presented rock and roll as something less polished, less expensive, and more accessible than most of what I saw on the rock videos on MTV, a network owned by Nickelodeon's parent company, Viacom. The shots of three guys in street clothes playing on a front lawn while a sprinkler sprays and kids ramp their bikes made rock music seem like something anyone could play, even a nine-year-old. I sat by the TV when the show started and tried to mime the band's hand movements on an entry-level electric guitar we had at the house. It's important to have levelers like this in art. They bring in new people and ideas. Someone will always scoff at the abstract, untrained, or overtly populist, but no movement or style can truly reach the masses if the masses can't relate to it. When people relate to art, some of them start to think they can make it themselves, and their efforts push art further. To look specifically at music, think of the creative blossoming that has come from lots of young people getting access to inspiration and equipment. The world of music has been made better by the printed transcriptions of folk songs in Sing Out magazine, the Kingsman's brutish recording of Louie Louie, affordable Sears Silvertone electric guitars, and free downloadable home beat-making software. 
In a documentary on his band, John Flansburg of the new wave art rock group They Might Be Giants said that until punk rock came along, saying you could be in a rock band in the mid-70s was like saying you could be the Incredible Hulk, technically impossible and laughably lofty. Pete and Pete's rock populism was rooted in the indie scene of the late 80s and early 90s. Michael Stipe made an appearance in the show. So did Debbie Harry, Juliana Hatfield, and Gordon Gano. Iggy Pop and Sid Straw had recurring roles. And creators Will McRobb and Chris Viscardi showed their interest in pop culture, both mainstream and obscure, throughout the series, booking guest roles for LL Cool J, Patty Hearst, Chris Elliott, Janine Garofalo, and Ellen Cleghorn. This was before the trend of casting celebrities in kids' movies and shows as a joke for parents. When Ozzy Osbourne shows up in Trolls World Tour, he plays the aged king of rock trolls. It's a deliberate joke that only works for people who know Ozzy. When Kate Pearson from the B-52s appears in Pete and Pete, she plays a mysterious neighbor who was once married to a masked ice cream man. Her career outside of the show has no bearing on her character. She's there because she's cool. Her coolness comes through on the screen even if you don't know who she is. Pete and Pete embodied the no-parents-allowed attitude that Nickelodeon shows had at the time. It's surreal and strange in the way a kid's imagination can be. Adults are another species. The most frequent musical cameo on Pete and Pete is the band that I started off describing. They did the theme song, and they're the one that little Pete becomes obsessed with. They're called Polaris, but are essentially three-fourths of Miracle Legion, a band that was, usually unfairly, described as New England's answer to R.E.M. And I don't care In 1994, I had no way of knowing this. I also had no way of hearing the music from the show outside of the broadcast, which Nickelodeon changed at a rate that implied they didn't want anyone to see anything on purpose. The best chance to catch Pete and Pete was on Nick in the Afternoon, a summertime programming block that took requests and answered viewer letters. It was hosted by a popsicle stick puppet named Stick Stickly. One day, a kid wrote in with a question about the music on Pete and Pete. The band is called Polaris, Stick answered, adding that the singer was named Muggy. This information was interesting, but useless to my quest to hear the music in some other way than short bursts on cable TV. Sometime in 1995, I sat down for a bowl of frosted mini-wheats and saw Muggy's face on the back of the box. With two proofs of purchase, I could get a tape called Happily Deranged, music from the adventures of Pete and Pete featuring Polaris. I didn't get the tape. This was an era of ordering by mail and waiting six to eight weeks for a package. That's a lot of time to wait, especially for a kid. It's possible I sent off and forgot about it. It's also possible I decided it wasn't worth the anticipation. Whatever the case, I regretted not having that tape whenever I caught an episode of Pete and Pete on TV. Four years later, my brother showed me Napster, explaining that it could find almost any song I wanted. I typed in Polaris. I found three songs credited to a band with that name. Hey Sandy, Coronado 2, and She is Staggering. After an excruciatingly long download, I played the tracks. They were lo-fi. They must have been ripped from the happily deranged cassette. But they were unmistakable. Hey Sandy was the theme song. The chorus-coded guitars of She is Staggering had closed an episode of the show that dealt with Big Pete and his best friend Ellen's lingering crushes on each other. Are you crazy, man? You didn't notice her? I had come to think I'd never hear this music again. If you didn't capture something on a cassette or VHS, then it vanished after the broadcast ended. An entire era had been heard then forgotten. This led to a lot of mistaken memories and half-remembered realities. My mind combined scenes from different shows and melodies from different songs into one ongoing reel that can never be corrected and never be proven wrong. Until now. 
Digital file sharing changed how my memory worked. At first it was Polaris, then it was old theme songs and tunes I partially remembered from hearing on the radio. These pieces of culture were no longer ephemeral. With the MP3s downloaded, my memories were updated, corrected, and yet somehow corrupted. I had recollections of riding somewhere in the back of my parents' car, a particular song playing on the radio. Now I could hear the exact song. The contrast between hyper-accurate music and hazy memory was hard to handle. The song wasn't as I remembered it. Maybe the experience wasn't either. Still, I kept listening. Over time, other Polaris tracks landed on file-sharing services. Soon, I learned the band had released a CD, which I called Borders to request a hold-on and purchase the next time my parents were driving in that direction. This is the second mention of the book and music store Borders on this podcast. Please update your number one with a Bullard bingo card accordingly. I listened to the album over and over. For a while, it was my favorite CD. I told friends about it, and most of them had the same reaction. I remember that show had cool music. With the CD and the internet, I was able to learn all about Polaris, Miracle Legion, and the other bands that played on Pete and Pete. The robots with rubber bands were the magnetic fields. The band at the school dance was Luscious Jackson. I filled in my knowledge of alternative music with the TV show as my North Star. A world I barely remembered was now coming into focus. In 2015, on Record Store Day, I popped into a local shop and saw music from the adventures of Pete and Pete available on vinyl. I bought it and took it home. I listened to it. I loved the songs, but something felt off. It wasn't about the music. The songs still mean a lot to me, and I'm glad Polaris got money from my purchase of the record. I'm glad the singer, Muggy, real name Mark Mulcahy, kept making music after the show ended. His solo albums are something to check out. Polaris is reunited and they've put out new music and I'm glad fans can enjoy it. More people making music and finding fans is great. But I hope this is on the band's terms. The record felt like it was made on my terms. The music was written for a TV show, where it would be played for 20 seconds underneath dialogue and maybe a little more time behind credits. It was distributed on cassette tape through cereal boxes. It landed on CD, then vinyl. As inspired as the compositions were, their container was willed into existence by nostalgists with money to spare. All of the containers were. The CD hit shelves once the initial audience for the show was old enough to buy it. The vinyl came 16 years later when that same audience was into collecting records. I felt like the dog that finally caught the car. But I hadn't caught it by running. The car had come to me. Or maybe other dogs had barked loud enough to make the car stop. This is something men of my generation seem to do a lot. They gripe about Ghostbusters and Blockbusters and say that the people who made the things they love are ruining their childhoods by daring to evolve and change. They yell until they get what they want. This is the opposite of the spirit Pete and Pete's indie rock influence instilled in me. It's the opposite of the spirit of creativity in a lot of ways. There has always been and will always be fan service. There will always be pandering and there will always be perfect fits. And there will always be people who confuse the two or who expect a perfect fit while they insist on being pandered to. But if a song reaches you, moves you, or inspires you, what more can you ask of it? Where would that car have gone if I hadn't chased it? Maybe somewhere great? Art speaks to you. It doesn't cater to you. Be grateful when it does anything at all. It may never do it again. Number one with a Bullard is written and produced by me, Gabe Bullard. 
Linda Golden edits the scripts and the newsletter. You can find that newsletter and subscribe to it. You can also subscribe to this podcast wherever you got it. Just go to GabeBullard.com and get the links. Thanks for listening. See you next week. I should have a new microphone by then, too, so maybe this will sound totally different. Anything's possible. New microphone. I just got the shipping notice. Should be here soon. The label has been created.